Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Extra Inch Podcast. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, mate. And we're recording this um, after the Wolves 3, Arsenal 1, and Man City 2, Man United 0 matches. So we're kind of feeling quite relaxed and enjoying life. Um, slightly different to how we were feeling at halftime yesterday in the Brighton game when things felt quite different. But we're going to come to Brighton later. We're going to go through uh, some of our key matches most recently in chronological order, starting off with the quite incredible Champions League quarterfinal match against Manchester City. Um, I mean, there's so much to say about this game and we're, we're quite late to the party, so a lot of it's already been said. But let's start with Bardi, who was at the Fighting Cock Social watching this, which I imagine was rather excruciating. Bardi, tell us a little bit about how that experience went down for you. Well, I, w- I was I was talking on the Fighting Cock earlier today that I th- I think that game was probably my second ever my second favourite football match in my life because it it had a little bit of everything. Obviously, we won, which made it great, but there was drama, there was like high quality goals, there was really intelligent football as well, and there was some bad football as well, which made it entertaining. But it had drama, it had everything, and the the Fighting Cock Social was seriously one of the most incredible football watching experiences. There was about four hundred fifty people rammed into this pub and everybody was feeling the emotions and um when um when Aguero scored the atmosphere dropped and then obviously Lorente scored and then when VAR came in and, and stopped the Sterling hat trick it was it was absolute scenes of joy everywhere. I mean you say you say we won. We didn't actually win that game. <laughs> um yeah. but, but, which is so like Spursy in a way that one of the most enjoyable nights in our modern history is is actually defeat. Um, but there's something beautiful about that. Uh, I mean, you're, you're totally right that it was interesting for all of the reasons that you've said, but it was actually also a really fascinating tactical battle as well. Nathan, talk us through it a little bit in terms of tactics, because Poch did a few different things in this game. Notably, he changed things. Um, how, did, how did we start and, and how did we end up? So we started with um, a diamond, but like a, an especially <laughs> before that, even um, narrowness was really key in the first leg. And I think he wanted to sort of take that even further <clears throat> and also bolster up midfields. So we used a three man, you could even call it a four man midfield with the diamond um, and really sort of um, tucked inside. And I think because he'd Guardiola had seen that in the first leg, he wanted to take advantage of that. So he used sort of a bit of a decoy out wide. Normally Guardiola will either use outside wingers, so Sané on the left and Sterling on the right, or he'll use inside wingers, so inside uh, footed players who, who tuck in narrow and full backs or overlap. What he did here is he used inside footed wingers, but he started them wide so that he could quickly switch up between um, whether they were playing inside or outside. And I took advantage of that um, so that... Uh, 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 Silver, who we saw score, could pick up the ball in a huge amount of space with a quick switch and then cut inside and, and, and get it short away, which is what we saw there. Um, so City scored twice, but that same narrowness really paid off for us when we counterattacked because we could quickly uh, win the second ball and we could, um, because we played this front two of Lucas and Son, two especially fast players, they could quickly go outside of uh, City's back two um, and take advantage there and then 
cut back in, obviously. Um, so yeah, it was a, a, an absolutely hectic um, sort of fifteen twenty minutes, um, and and then Poch was the first one to say, "Okay, we, I can't bear this anymore," and he switched to a a four four two, so that we're doubled up out wide, and we weren't getting completely um, shredded in those areas, um, which sort of yeah slowed the game down, brought it um, back into a more comfortable area, and City were obviously. Um, always going to be able to generate some decent attacks in that situation. They did score. They even scored a second time, um, but not legitimately. I think um, I think a part of the game was also the difference of this game and the one at White Hart Lane was the fact that space, all of a sudden Manchester City started owning the, owning the pitch. And I think it's kind of key how Guardiola plays in those kind of little pockets of of space in between full-back and centre-backs in the midfield. In the first match, we had um, Winks and Sissoko being really disciplined and they didn't have Kevin De Bruyne then all of a sudden we have De Bruyne there no winks um, our midfield is a little bit all over the place and you have Trippier just allowing Sterling to kind of wander into space and set up a tent and have a little party whenever he wanted and I think that was that was key to that game um, at the at the at their ground I did think that both Trippier and Rose were particularly poor in the first 25 minutes but I'm willing to cut them some slack because the system that we played, which I have descri- described as a calculated gamble from Pochettino, I think that system totally exposed our fullbacks. And so, although they did make both both of them made some mistakes, made some poor decisions. You know, they're playing against two of the best players in the Premier League, in Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling, and they're totally unprotected by a, a player ahead of them. So I did feel for them. Also, Wanyama at the base of a diamond. It was one of his first games back. He looked seriously rusty and City totally exposed him as well. So there were a lot of tactical issues, which I think Pochettino then fixed really well. And it kind of seemed to stem from Sissoko going... It was just before Sissoko's injury that we changed it. But Sissoko going off in a, in a way, it, it, it kind of forced Pochettino's hand a little. Um, we brought on Llorente and again, we had to adapt. Um, what did you make of Llorente's performance in this game, Buddy? Well... I thought I thought had we have kept Sun central, I think we might have actually won the game because he was causing them so many problems. I think when he moved wide, yes, perhaps it worked in our benefit defensively, even though they were still overrunning us. But I, as we saw in the league game, had we kept Sun central, I think there was joy there for him and he, he might have added to his tally. But Lorente came on and he, he done what kind of Lorente does, which isn't a great deal, but he managed to score a goal. So uh, for, for that, he'll be forever forgiven. But yeah, he's not very good. And Nathan and I were WhatsApping about the Lorente change and, and Nathan made the point that, yeah, you know, there's not a lot else to bring on at that point in the game. There was not a lot on the bench, no. um, certainly in terms of, of fit and sharp players. So, you know... Pochettino had limited choice, but you're right that it totally changed the game plan in terms of our attacking game. Llorente is very good at playing one-touch football when he's got players around him. What he's not good at is holding the ball up and kind of hanging onto it for a few seconds to, to wait for players to join him. And that led to problems for us because it kept coming back at us. Mm-hmm. Um, and City were piling on the pressure and obviously they, they did get the, the goal through Aguero. And then it looked like they, they might nick it at the end. What what were your thoughts on the, the VAR, the VAR, um, Nathan? Um, you, you've had mixed thoughts on VAR from the start. Um, interested to get your feelings on how it panned out here and whether you whether you have a view on if that changes your perception of it. It's certainly very easy with this game to be optimistic about it. Um, 
it did work out in a favour, but it also very much appeared to work out um, quite legitimately. You know, this is an example of of what VAR can be and can do if it's utilised well and and if it settles into everything and refs get used to it, fans get used to it. I think there is still a legitimate argument about the way it affects the fan experience. Um, you know, for example, if you pretend for a second you're a City fan and you have that last minute winner and you celebrate it and then VAR comes along and breaks your heart, you know, obviously that's awful. But at the same time, um, it's it, it's an equal travesty if that goal has stood when it shouldn't have done. Um, I don't know. I, I, there's still not a decisive answer on, you know, whether it's for the best or for the worst. Uh, just that this is this is a, a good game in its, in its favour. And I guess the other point is that it gave Spurs fans who were at that game one of the greatest moments that they'll have had Absolutely. celebrating a, a non-goal um, ever. It, it really was, it was quite something, the, the drama it created. Um, I, I do think it's, it's something that's great for television and for watching at home. But like you say, for the match day, match going fan, it's, it's pretty tough, um, particularly the way they communicate it to fans. And I think it's going to take some getting used to. But, you know, ultimately justice was done on, on this occasion. I think they, they got both calls spot on. Llorente, yes, he touched the ball with his hand. But until they changed the rules, that's not necessarily a handball. There was no intent from Llorente. Um, and, and certainly Sterling's one was a bit more clear cut because, you know, offsides are black and white, technically. So really interesting to see how it panned out. I think the final thing to say on this first Man City game was just how good Hyungmin Son was because he was frighteningly good in this match. He, he has had... Um, he's stepped up again this year. He's stepped up another level. He's become, on his day, utterly unplayable and such a talismanic figure for us, particularly in the games where Kane's been missing. And he was just a total live wire. Everything good about our attacking play came through Son. Um, and his second goal was just a thing of beauty. It was so controlled. He's, he's shooting off either foot. It's just incredible. When he gets to that kind of edge of the D, um, just outside the box, he's just lethal. Uh, Buddy, what did you make of Son's performance? And can, have you got any more nice words to, to lavish upon him? Uh, well, the funny thing is, I sometimes I get into the stadium early and I watch them warming up, and sometimes Son's control can look a little bit wayward in the in the pre-match warm-up. But um, in game, it just seems to it just seems to become a little bit of a magic again, and it, it sticks to him. And you're right, the way he can flick inside off either foot, he's he's an incredible player, and he is improving all the time. He definitely he definitely seems to like the responsibility. Maybe it's something that he's used to at international level, but at Spurs when when he's the main man, he really does enjoy it. Um maybe that's just kind of his personality that he wants to be the star. So when Kane isn't there, he's given more responsibility. He's allowed to play in those areas that Kane would normally um be in. But um I think we'll get on to talk about Brighton. I do think um, a game against Brighton shows just how important Kane is. And no matter how incredible Son is, he, he, it's the discussion of we should play Son or Kane is, is, doesn't exist. They should play both of them together. It doesn't, you can't, you don't have one without the other. We can have both of them and still be very happy. Sure. So from that kind of, I mean, actually, we, we haven't actually. <laughs> Said, but we're in the semi-final of the Champions League. I mean, they're <laughs> absolutely outrageous from from where we were in this se- this season's Champions League campaign. It is just a remarkable achievement. I'm so I couldn't be happier. I think that night will go down as one of the happiest, most enjoyable nights as a Spurs fan in in recent years. And you know, social media was absolutely lit, and it was just so much fun. It was really great. Um, somebody, um, somebody on Twitter, Ali Nutmeg, at Ali Nutmeg, put um, put a tweet out. 
um, a few hours ago just saying it's the tackle that the PSV player um, Nick Vergeva makes on Icardi in the 93rd minute at the San Siro to keep it a draw. And it's crazy to think that our Champions League <laughs> comes down to some no mark making a tackle on a, on a, on a waste man of a forward. It's, it's, <laughs> it's incredible. That, that's Game our of inches, champ- mate. Game of inches. It's, it's amazing that we were out, you know. We, we didn't even, we didn't beat Barcelona. We were drawing with them and Inter should have knocked us out, but it's amazing that we're still here. And, um, I can't, I can't wait for this game against Ajax. I think White Hart Lane is going to be amazing. And I'm very jealous of everybody who's heading out to, um, to Amsterdam. And the nice thing about it is we, we've got so many ex-Ajax players who will desperately want to beat their former club as well. There are lots of links between Spurs and Ajax. It's just, it's so perfect in so many ways. Um, yeah, can't, can't wait for the, both of those games. It could be fascinating. Um, we'll come back to that shortly because we have got a question about Ajax. Um, but from that kind of helter-skelter Champions League tie, we then moved on to the Premier League match against Man City. And I think we all expected an absolute drubbing. Uh, we all expected a host of changes to the team. We thought we were going to stick out the youth team. And that didn't really happen. But there were some interesting switches there. So we started this one 5-3-2. And Juan Foyth came in to play at right wing back. Not even right back, right wing back. Um, and this was a really, really tight, cagey game where I thought Spurs played excellently. Bardi, we'll start with you. What was your opinion on... You know, when you saw that team lineup? what did you think? What did you think the game was going to be like? Well, I, I thought we were going to play like six centre-backs across the defence and just try and hold out. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one because I thought... I was at the Huddersfield game and I thought Walker-Peters played well. And seeing as I kind of... Thought we were kind of going to. I think we kind of threw this game. We kind of knew we wouldn't get the result, especially after everything we put into um, the Champions League game. And then when I saw Foyth, I was concerned. But the the boys, the boy can play football, and he understands defending. He still has one or two things I would like him to iron, like to sort out in his game. He's very confident on the ball. Sometimes I think he can take a little bit too long to make the decision that he ends up making. So he kind of slows it down. But um, he understands defending. And I think if we went out to try and buy a one foif now, someone of his potential, of his age, you'd be looking at a lot of money. So it's brilliant that we've got him. And I've kind of liked, I like the way Foy, um, Pochettino's managing him, giving him games here and there and, and letting him grow in and actually learn his um, learn his role. And, you know, even within his short spell at Spurs, he's kind of gone from zero to hero in a, in a way he had that kind of slightly ropey match against Wolves where even within that game he, he improved and ended up doing pretty well mm. um, and he's had a couple of other dodgy dodgy moments as well but he's got such a great mentality that he always just comes back he had a tough start to this game where he, he got beaten once or twice but then he was just imperious for lots of lots of the match and he kept Raheem Sterling quiet saw him off on comes Sane kept him quiet as well did a great job I thought Nathan, what were your thoughts on the the match, the formation, and and one for selection? Uh, so, as you two know, I sort of I went out in a big, big way on the Friday night, and uh, I slept through the lineup and the first twenty minutes of the game, and I uh, woke up to a lot of tweets and messages saying, "What is this lineup? What the hell is happening?" Um, and it was pretty baffling. Um, yeah, Foyth is. I would like Bardi to apologise to me for uh, mocking me when I said that Foyth would be better than Sanchez because he's well on his way. Um, uh, he, well, he's not. He's not better than Sanchez. No, but he will be. <laughs> Maybe. And when that day happens, I'll happily say, I happily say you were right. But until until okay. Foyth is a regular international and has won something, then then 
then I will continue to, to be on the Sanchez bandwagon. But we can have both, you know. Absolutely, uh, exactly. Absolutely. They, they think, complement each other. Yeah, they do. They really do. They're very different players. Um, Foyth is the kind of more front foot, uh, really good in the ball, reads the game nicely, wants to nip in and win the ball early. Sanchez is much more reactive, drops off, um, sweeps up behind. Very Again, another good good game reader. Uh, Sanchez's weakness, I suppose, is that he sometimes thinks he can bully players off the ball and then tends to get bullied himself, whereas Foyth's uh, weakness is he's a little bit too keen to, to win the ball and, and if players can nick it ahead of him, he's gone, he's out of the game. So they've both got little kinks to work out, but both have tremendous potential and I think we're very lucky to have two of the best young um, defenders probably in in Europe, if, you know, if we're honest. We're, there's a lot of potential there. Um, and you know, in all likelihood, we're going to need them next year. So I'm, I couldn't be happier to have Foyth and Sanchez. I'm, I really like both of them. I don't think Sanchez has had such a great season as his first year, but I still think he's a very good player, and I'm happy to have him at the club. I had a question from Seamus Hart, who said, "Should Trippier now be seventh choice right back behind Aurier, Alderweireld, Foyth, Kyle Walker-Peters, Eric Dyer, and Musa Sissoko?" Which I enjoyed. Any chance of shit on Trippier, basically. Um, <laughs> but Foyth's performance at right back can only really be commended. He did a good job in a position that's unfamiliar to him. Nathan, did you think um, what 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 was the the thought behind the five three two in this game? Uh, so we sort of touched on the sort of variable use of width. So that's a complicated term. Um, but the the interesting use of width um, City used in the Champions League. And I think that this was sort of a preparation to deal with either situation. You know, if they play narrow, we've got the wide centre-backs. If we play wide, we've got the full-backs. Um, and again, allowed us to put three players in the field and sort of just muddy things up that way. Uh, I don't think it was much deeper than that. And I thought we played really, really well in this match without actually looking a huge threat. Um, we kind of created a couple of half chances, but nothing nothing special. But we were very solid defensively and it was really encouraging. I I just liked the performance in general. Um, and, and again, we lost. So the weird thing is we've lost both of these games, but really enjoyed the, the kind of performances from our players. And then we come on to Brighton, which we won. And the performance was not quite so enjoyable. So I found this a particularly tough watch in general. I thought we made hard work of this this game. Obviously, Urente was in there from the start. Buddy, you were there. What was it like to, to watch at the stadium? It was... Um, everybody before the game started was a little bit jokey. Oh, you know, it's going to be a, a scrappy 1-0 win. You know, everybody kind of being proper Spurs and downplaying it. And then as the game started, you kind of saw how Brighton set up. And I've been watching football a long time and I've never seen anything quite as negative or quite as quite as anti-football. The, the term anti-football gets banded around a lot, but that was pure anti-football. They had no intention to try and score a goal. I think I saw somewhere that XG was 0.2. I think their best chance was maybe when Wanyama tried to volley into our own net. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was it was pure misery of a game, and the thing is, I felt confident that we would get the breakthrough eventually because you you can't defend like that and not and not concede. But the later it got, the later it got, and the scruffier we our attacks were becoming. At first, we were switching the ball, moving it side to side, looking for the gap, and then you could see the almost desperation creeping into the game. Delhi, Ericsson, they were trying to find passes that that weren't there. And yeah, it took, it needed somebody to step up with a bit of magic. And thankfully, Ericsson did that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, I, I, again, we played a, a shape that was new. We played a sort of 4-3-3, I thought. Or, you, you, you know, Wanyama was slightly deeper than the other midfielders and, and Chilwin Son and, and Lucas Moura um, dropped into wide areas. But when when we had the ball, it was a 4-3-3 shape with Llorente spearheading it. Um, Nathan, any particular thoughts around the shape? Is it just based purely upon who was fit and available at the time or is there something more to it? Well, there was a, an interesting use of the fullbacks, at least in the first half. So the the, uh, the first episodes of the season, we called 4 one one um, and I think that for at least a while we were using a four one four one there with with um, Trippy and Rose tucking in inside um, and allowing Son and Lucas to play um, right up on the touchline. And this is something that I, I sort of gave a um, a lengthy argument in favour for back in pre season, and it's something that I think that we could have used at, at multiple points when we struggled with in midfield this season. It's very interesting to see it now, um, but then you know. Brighton sat deeper and deeper and we pushed further and further and, and shape sort of lost its meaning because it was, you know, two, one, seven or whatever that <laughs> adds up to it. It was just ludicrous. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if we see that again and what that means for the future. Um, but tactically, this game was just shelling crosses and long shots into a box um, and hoping something that would happen. So there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. Firstly, I, I found the... Um... Our, our shape when we had the ball was fascinating. So one one of our centre-backs, usually Vertonghen, would push high up into the midfield, leaving just Alderweireld's back because Brighton was so un- unambitious. And we were, we could do that without any problem. There was no issue with that at all. And it then allowed, it freed up Delhi to, to roam further forward. It freed up Ericsson to do the same. Uh, Delhi was normally in the pocket of space between um, the, the full-back, the centre-back and midfielder that um, you might expect someone like David Silva to be in. Um, and that, that that seemed to be the area he was trying to work uh, positions from. And Vertonghen was filling that gap he left behind. And it, it worked quite nicely, I thought. And, and Vertonghen's use of the football, as we know, is, is excellent. He's really comfortable in possession. He's got good touch. He, he keeps things moving nicely. Um, but, in my opinion, it didn't make up for the, the lack of a ball player like Winks in there. And I thought we were really slow to cycle the ball and try and pull Brighton out of position. So what tended to happen was we'd go side to side, but quite slowly. It would end up with the fullbacks. Trippier was quite cautious and would typically just pass it back inside. Whereas Rose was trying to beat his man and get an early cross in or, or try and do something progressive and often ended up losing the ball. You know, fair play for him for trying things, but it didn't always work out. And so we were getting quite frustrated. Lots of players were taking on shots. So Vertonghen himself had numerous shots from outside the box. Ericsson had, uh, must have been five or six attempts. And they were normally just kind of fairly straightforward for for Ryan, and the crosses straightforward for Duncan Duffy, who were who were heading things away. 
Um, and it's quite frustrating to watch because we won't get the best out of our creative players. Having said that, it's tough in those games where a team comes and defends as deep as Brighton did because it totally restricts the space there is for the likes of Sun and Lucas to run into. And that's that's their strength. You know, Sun and Lucas both have very quick feet, but they want space to gallop into and to take advantage of. And it wasn't there. It's totally restricted. So there were, there were major issues for us. And I thought we we were quite slow to adapt and try things. One thing I just want to touch on that Poch mentioned after the game. He was asked about the long shots that we were taking and um, and particularly about having Vincent Janssen and Llorente on the pitch in relation to that. So he brought on Janssen for his first appearance in, I think, 23 months. And oh, the, 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 I know, insane. And I guess the point was to occupy the centre-backs, but he made this point also that he wanted the players to shoot from distance. And it's very diff- difficult when you've got additional bodies in front of the goalkeeper blocking the view. And so in a way, Janssen was just using his big ass to block Matt Ryan's view so that Ericsson could try and find the corners, which I think was a, a slightly um, fascinating tactical point that I really hadn't considered. I thought, you know, why are we taking on long shots when we've got an extra player in the box who could be getting on the end of crosses and, and we're wasting that chance? So actually, he's a shield, he's a human shield and that's it. Any thoughts? Well, I do think that that definitely happened with Ericsson's goers that the keeper was unsighted and saw it late. Um, just like we've seen tonight, with, uh, De Gea was unsighted as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a perfectly legitimate um, <laughs> means of chance creation. It's not something that is picked up on um, any expected goals model that I'm aware of. Um, and yeah, and it is too folded in that the, the shot can be blocked. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of, of just grinding out. There's not a lot tactically you can do in, in those games. You've just got to try and force the issue and also um, stay in it mentally. And we've seen, you know, <laughs> we've seen too many games. We've seen a thousand games where Spurs have dominated the ball. Spurs have created the chances. The opponents have sat deep and sat deep and sat deep. And we've become frustrated and we've lost focus and, and, and uh, you know, we've allowed it to get to us and then the opposition break and they score or even they don't score and it ends nil-nil. Um, and in, th- in this occasion, we really stuck to it. And re- uh, yeah, a little bit, there was some frustration growing in, but but for the most part, we stuck to the game plan and, um, you know, no more Spursy. <laughs> I quite like the idea of using Vincent Janssen as a, as a shield. If I was going into war, I would definitely have him. <laughs> Fodder, just fodder. <laughs> fodder. Uh, it, it was actually really sweet, the reaction to Janssen, and I think it was genuine and not ironic. I think it was... Yeah, the, the crowd really got behind him. and Yeah, they, they got behind him, and, and it was... You know, we were desperate, and sometimes desperation call, desperate me- it calls for desperate measures. And, you know, he almost scored like immediately from a rebound, but he just took way, way too long to react. And he, he went with his wrong foot as well. Like it was, if he'd taken it with his right foot, he might have got there, but he tried yeah. to go with his left because he only has one foot, really. Let's face it. I think, Bardi, you want to say some nice things about Danny Rose because you really enjoyed his performance against Brighton. So so tell us what, what, impressed, what impressed you so much about Rose's performance. Yeah, you kind of touched on it. I thought Trippier was very timid with the ball. He wasn't very aggressive. And in places where he had space or a gap to maybe go at the defender or pull it back, he, he opt, often opted for the easy, uh, went for the easy chance. Where I think Rose was much more direct, much more tenacious in his tackling and created opportunities. He, he had a great shot of his right foot in the first half. He committed defenders and he ran into the box. He drew fouls. He pulled people out of place 
And although he, although he can be a bit wayward with his passing and his crossing, I thought he was excellent. And in a team where we, in a in a game where we did tend to go side to side, somebody like Danny Rose willing to take responsibility and actually drive into the box and try and get round the back of defenders, I th- I thought he played great. Nathan, how about you? Where where are you with Rose and our fullbacks in general these past few games? I'm definitely uh, more with Bardi on on this one, on particularly Daniel Rose. And again, this particular game is one where he lost the ball 21 times. But again, tactically, this is just an absolute mess. And essentially, that's 21 times where he's tried to make something happen. Um, so I don't think you can blame him much for for wastefulness or or a lack of creativity. It's it's just trying things and trying things until it pays off. Um, Danny Rose's ability and Danny Rose's skill is rarely under question. It was always about his uh, interest and desire and, and, and care and attitude. Um, and I don't think you can argue that that's not there or that's not come back. Um, yeah, you can find sort of technical faults, especially in that game. But for the most part, I, I'm very happy to see him, you know, just tearing it up and down the line again. Interesting. So I, I'll, I'll say a few things arose just because I've been saying them on Twitter and um, and it, it just kind of gives a bit of background. But I, I, I think I'm at a point where... I just don't believe Rose is as good as he was and I I doubt whether he can get back to that point and I think there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, I, I think people are desperate to see that old Rose and are kind of translating his form onto that, his old form onto, onto new Danny Rose, if that makes sense. His, you know, the last ditch tackle he made was sensational. He's so sharp in the tackle, which I do, I do genuinely believe helps set the tempo and and gets the crowd on our side. And I think that stuff is all great. The kind of intangible stuff that every team needs. But I think the lack of quality is a, is a problem um, from fullback in general. I mean, Trippier's crossing was really good, is now not good. Um, his progressive passing was really good, is now not good. Add to that the fact that he's a poor defender and we've got an issue on the right. I think that the left back issue is is not quite as serious, but a problem that needs fixing. Um I do. I, I honestly think it would be possible for us to replace both fullbacks um, at, with with better players without too much hassle, and I think that would really improve our, our team and our squad generally, um, and, and make us a much more dynamic unit. Where if things aren't coming from Ericsson or Son or Kane or Delhi, they can come from fullback because that's you know we had that glorious period where Walker and Rose were such a constant threat, and I just feel like that's totally missing now. I, I just have no faith that. Either Trippier or Rose are going to create anything of, of note, um, particularly given how much freedom they have. I mean, they're often the spare men in our for, the formation we play, and I still feel as though not enough comes from them. Uh, maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I'm expecting too much, and, and and it's too harsh. But I don't know. I just want more. Okay, we have some questions. We have a question about Victor Wanyama. So I think Wanyama is a really interesting point in the moment because I think we've pretty much all given up on him. Uh, so Matthew Borum, who is mborum1 on Twitter, says, Please break down Wanyama. Did he show enough to be trusted again? I personally think so. But the games are so stressful, I don't remember much of them. Would, would his re-emergence lift the weight of signing a new central midfielder? And equally, Mark Lynch on Twitter says, Is Wanyama back or still going? What do you guys make of Wanyama? Because I know I in my head I'd totally written him off, and now I'm not so sure. So, Bardi, where are you? Um, I'm in a good place with Wanyama. I think he's improving game by game. 
He he does look fit again. He looks trimmer. He took a, he scored a nice goal against Huddersfield. In I don't think him being back should stop us from buying a centre midfielder. I think we we've been in desperate need for a centre midfielder for eighteen months. But um, I mean we needed him. Otherwise, I don't know where we'd be right now with no Winks and no Sissoko. So um, yeah, I I don't hate Wanyama. I thought he was brilliant in the first season we signed him, and he's been unfortunate of injuries since then. So so would you would you still be looking to sell him in the summer? Um, I wouldn't be in a rush to sell him. You know, um, I doubt we're going to get too much money from him. He's probably going to be a player that we end up that ends up running out his contract. And if that's the case, that's the case. If we get a decent offer for him, sell him. But we don't buy players, so I don't think we can really afford to to sell anybody at the moment. How about you, Nathan? What are your overall thoughts on Wanyama right now? I think it's interesting that Matthew said break him down because I think he did break down. And I think it's interesting that he says uh, lift the weight because I think he has lifted a lot of weight off of himself. And I think um, uh, Charles Rich on on Twitter made the observation that like he's dramatically trimmed down. Um, and now he has done, he's sort of able to get about the pitch a little bit more and he's able to last 90 minutes and he's not dropping down with injury. So you wonder if there's a connection there in that, you know, he's not putting this huge amount of pressure because he did weigh a ton, um, all of lean muscle. Um, so yeah, less, less pressure on his joints. Um, yeah, he he looks better, and it's great that we sort of have someone who can play defensive midfield at the moment. Um, but I would still be looking beyond him long term, and I think that you can um, sort of hype him up a little bit now and celebrate him now and say, "Oh, when Yama's back, when Yama's back," and then sell him while his stock is high and get a real midfield in. Yeah, I, I definitely. I think his performances over the last couple of weeks have added another five million to his price tag. We weren't going to get anything for him now. All of a sudden. Um, a mid a mid range team might start looking at him. Say for example, yeah. if Watford sell Decore, maybe Wanyama is a guy that goes in there alongside Kapu, which would be quite an amazing, quite an amazing centre midfield partnership. The ones who got away. <laughs> that's actually that's a really great point about adding some value before selling him, and actually it's it's kind of perfect because Wanyama is a very well liked and well respected player at Spurs, and it's kind of nice that he's getting. Um, getting some games at the end of the season, because if this is a farewell, then it'll be a fond farewell and, and it'd be nice to see him have a few more good showings before he, he left. And, you know, it's, it's a shame the way it's panned out. I think if it weren't for injuries, then he'd be a mainstay of our team. Um, but we, we've got, as we mentioned before, we've got so many injury-prone players, we can't keep carrying them. And this season has shown, you know, we've got a, a, a small squad as it is and you kind of stack up the injuries and it becomes hugely problematic. Particularly yeah. when they're all in one position. Yeah, I do agree. We should we need to start selling these players. They that keep getting like Dyer's been what six months of being unfit now. It was appendicitis. Now it's his back. It's a continual problem. Um, Dyer, Lamella, um, Wanyama. They they're all in the kind of um, the area of possibly being sold because of the injuries. But I think maybe that was why Janssen came on. Um, if he scores a goal, his price he gets another two, three million pounds on his price tag. It's really interesting. I mean, it's slightly cynical, but it's, it's interesting to think of it that way. So we also have a question from JD, who is at JDJ Forty Nine er on Twitter. He says, "Have we or Poch tactically evolved this season? What can we possibly expect next season?" So this is something I, I think we we've spoken about before, where. Potch just kind of adds another string to his bow as each season passes. And I think this year has been the year of tactical flexibility. Last year we saw back three and a back four kind of on rotation. This year we've seen the midfield diamond added and used pretty widely actually. Um, Is there anything else, Nathan, that you think he's done this year to, to evolve tactically? 
think the um, general topic of tactical evolution is sort of complicated to explore. It's like, I don't think that he is seeing things the first time. I don't think he's realising, you know, options anew each time. I think he knows all these things. I think the theory is all there and always has been there, or, or you know, at least for, the, for very much the most part. I don't think that he's sort of learning in that way, but I think he maybe feels comfortable to, to make these changes, feels that the team are ready for those changes, feels that those um, options are there in ways sort of outside of himself and, and, and his ability to coach them. Um, and there's also sort of the creation of need is that, yeah, we've had to find these solutions because we've, we've had no other options. That's exactly um, what I was about to say. I think yeah. Dem- Dembele's injury and then obviously his departure meant that he had to find some solution in midfield, particularly with Sissoko, who wasn't at the start adept at playing in a midfield two. So the the sort of diamond in the three-man midfield was kind of came out of necessity, didn't it? The the city game is is something of a of a microcosm of this. What I'm just talking about a second ago is that like um I wrote about how I think you should play against Manchester City before the game in sort of the medium block, the narrowness, um, turnovers, attacking in behind, Delph, and I think all those things uh, came through. But like I don't for a second think that Pochettino didn't know all of that already. I I think that. If you if you feel that you have a way you can play against Manchester City, you also know that it's not something that you're going to be able to continually repeat mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, so are you going to show your cards to Guardiola for a league game that you may well lose anyway, or are you going to save it for a special occasion? And and Champions League quarterfinal is certainly a special occasion. So I don't think that it's again this is an example of the general season but I don't think it's a case of he's worked out how to play against Manchester City I think that that was always there I think it's that he's said that now is the time to put the plan into action Bardi how about you what do you think we've done differently this season and and what do you think's in store next year Um, this season I think Pochettino has to be credited for the way he's been able to change according to circumstances Um, he's He's protected our midfield for the majority of the season and he's had to check. We've had injuries, in-game injuries, which have affected us and he's always been quite smart on how he's reacted. Before, we used to say he didn't really do anything, but his substitutions this year have been, have been pretty much bang on. For, for next year, I would like us to go into the transfer market and buy him the players he needs to play his preferred formation. I don't know what that is. But I'm I'm hoping he does, and I'm hoping that we sign the players to have a proper plan A for him. That's that's really what I want for the summer. It's going to be absolutely fascinating to see who he targets because it will tell us a lot about what he expects. And I I I fully expect that he will sign players who are versatile and can play a number of different roles because we know how much he changes things. And actually, the the type of football we play means that players aren't position based. A lot of the time they are roaming all over the pitch. They're fulfilling different roles at different points, whether we're on the ball, off the ball, whether we're playing in high in the opposition half, whether we're playing a kind of low block, which sometimes happens these days under Poch. So it's going to be interesting to see who he targets and the, and the kind of profile of player he goes after. Um, with that in mind. Yeah, I th- I think someone like um, I mean, we're not going to go out and sign for Man City, but Bernardo Silva, like tonight, was playing wide, and then Fernandinho got injured and he went central. I think we will see 
um, Spurs move towards more versatile players, players like Son who can play through the middle or play out wide, mm-hmm. or um, a midfielder who can play deep but also play a bit further forward. I feel like Grealish is one of those players. He's also played wide before. I think he kind of fits the profile nicely, and I'm I'm sure he's a player we'll look at again this summer. It comes down to whether we'll actually pay their money for him. Okay, so final question is from Jackie Boy, who's Debaser92 on Twitter. Um, always a big supporter of the podcast and and very a very good guy. Yeah, uh, he says against Ajax in the first leg, should we play a back three and a front three of Delhi, Eriksson, and, and Lucas, or should we play a back four with Urente up front? So this is based on the fact that Son is suspended for the first leg because he got that yellow card. So we're somewhat restricted. And um, Buddy, first up, you you like the back three? Is that something you do against Ajax? Uh, I think it really depends on who's available to play midfield. If we've got Winks and Sissoko, Wanyama, I'd be—I t- mean, I personally would be tempted to play back four, but a midfield three if fit of Winks, Sissoko, Wanyama, and then play Eriksson um, off Delhi and Lucas. That's that's how I would go. And how about you, Nathan? What would you have in mind for this one? So uh, I've just finished writing a preview for this game. Um, what I will leak to you now is that I think that one of the key things to playing against Ajax is being able to dribble the ball from deep. Um, and hopefully Sissoko will be around for the second leg and that he will offer us something there. But in the in the meantime, we need to find another way of, of carrying the ball out of the back. And I think that means a back three and giving Vertonghen license to um, wander off from his, his left-sided centre-back role. Interesting. We don't really have many ball carriers in the team um, in the absence of Sullen Sissoko. So Lucas is one. Could he potentially play a bit deeper, I wonder? Um, He's looked quite good when he's played a deeper role, breaking forward with the ball. So that's that's a possibility. Um, And the other one, of course, is is Juan Foyth, who's one of the best dribblers at the club, I would say. Uh, so, so he might get get a, get a spot in the in the back three if we were to play it. So lots to lots to bear in mind there. Um, I think, like Bardi says, a lot will depend on who is fit and available. And I think if Winks is not there, I, I fear I fear for us in that first leg. If Winks is there, I feel much happier generally about our ball retention and our ability to create. Um, a lot will depend on fitness. Um, boys, it's been lovely to catch up. Thank you both very much. Thank you. I'm. Arsenal Fan TV are uploading their videos as we speak. <laughs> so there's your night sorted. Done. If you want to get in touch, email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk or find us on Twitter at theextrainch. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with another podcast. Take care. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.